closer value on the word perspective will ultimately give you the insights you need to determine your individual value and maximize your personal potential. Alex Dumchuk knows something about overcoming obstacles and adversity in order to relish in the euphoria of prosperity. He's a former SEC quarterback for the University of Missouri who got cut his junior season and instead of wallowing in the pits of despair, he worked hard that entire year and he persevered. So much so, he made the team again in his senior season. Alex now spends his days as a motivational speaker helping other people maximize the height of their own personal and professional potential. And he uses his experience in athletics as a launching point in order to connect with his audience of all shapes and sizes. He took some time out of his schedule this week to join me to discuss life on and off the football field, life after football, his motivational speaking messages, and the power he takes in the written word. I'm Kevin McShad, and I'm ready to have a diversified and insightful conversation. So without further delay, let's have this conversation. A moment to welcome you to the program, and I'm super all right. Excited. Let's let's do it. All about your journey in football and in life. Good to be with you, Alex, and thanks so much for a few minutes this morning, buddy. Yeah, well, Kevin, thanks so much for having me on, and um, yeah, just blessed to be with you this morning. Absolutely. Now, Alex, I know that uh, you're an SEC baby at heart, buddy. I know you played football at the University of Missouri, and you uh, minored in communications, which is close to my heart because I went to school for journalism. You minored in both uh, communications and uh, business. So tell me, buddy, how, how has life been after football and how uh, did your football career so, sort of guide you to where you are today? I'm curious. Yeah, that's a great question. That's awesome that you have the journalism background because, yeah, when I was at Mizzou, University of Missouri, I think is the, well, still are the, they are the number one journalism school in the country. So I definitely went to school with a lot of uh, J school students. And, but yeah, um, things are going great. You know, I'm married with a one year old daughter named Kennedy and um, we're staying busy, but life is great. And yeah, I guess to rewind a little bit to answer your question, um, after playing, you know, college football and kind of going through that entire experience, it, it definitely, gosh, you just learn so many life lessons through that. Um, um, whether it's the, the early morning discipline, the study hall, the train, all the different things that you have to do. It definitely, in a lot of ways, is a direct application to post the sports life. And so I've definitely tried to kind of take the, this mindset, take these 
um, disciplines, skills, abilities from football, you know, and athletics to then now the business world and what I'm doing with writing and speaking and things like that. And so I just think for anyone that's listening, who's been part of an organized sport or military or uh, not to compare sports to military, but you know, anything that's you're, you're having to work alongside people for a common cause and you have to overcome obstacles. Like you do really build these awesome relationships and, and then these lessons that you can just take with you the rest of your life, you know? Um, yeah, I think it's just been really cool for me. I'm still now. I'm just a now. I'm just a washed up, you know, fan, and uh, go go to the games as a fan. But you know, I really enjoy it. And um, yeah, it was such a cool experience. Are you a you a football guy yourself, as far as football fan? Well, Alex, I have to tell you, I uh, went to school to become a sports reporter, and all I consider, uh, you know, the NFL draft is coming up, buddy, and I consider that a national holiday. So I hope that answers your question, buddy. <laughs> I think that answers are pretty adequately. That's awesome, man. Yeah, because back when, <clears throat> gosh, I remember when I was in middle school, I remember I was watching the NFL draft, and when I remember like someone was like, the NFL draft, why would you watch that? That's so boring. <laughs> but like back then, it wasn't as like now it's like a primetime event. So that's that's cool that you said that. And it's coming to Detroit in a couple of years, so I can uh, shoot across the river and go watch it in person, right? Yeah, you'll really get some good, good, good podcast content with some of those uh, future draft picks. That's for sure. You better believe it, buddy. But you uh, piqued my interest in your last answer, buddy. So just before we move on, I'm I'm wondering how was it preparing to be a dad in quarantine? Because you're sure that you've just had a baby. So how was it? Preparing to be a dad in quarantine, buddy. Yeah, pretty pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, I think just like the rest of the world, when 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 everything kind of happened at the beginning of the pandemic, no one knew anything, right? And so, um, yeah, it, it was kind of crazy. Um, a lot of my, you know, speaking, I guess talking about that, a lot of my speaking went virtual. So I just we did a lot of virtual engagements, and so that was nice that I was able to stay home and and be home rather than being on the road like a lot of times I am. So. Yeah, it's been really, it's been awesome. Such a supportive wife named Erin. And um, yeah, we're just so blessed to have our daughter. And, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of weird having a COVID baby for sure. Cause it's like, you know, now it sounds, look, it feels like we're kind of past a lot of that, but um, back when you're in the heat of it, it was definitely, I guess we didn't really know any different because it was like, well, when you have a newborn, you're already staying at home anyway. So we didn't really feel like we were missing out on too much <laughs> um, at the beginning. So it was good. Well, at least you can look at it like you had uh, a peace and serenity putting your family puzzle together, right, buddy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, Alex, I know that we have a mutual interest in motivational speaking, buddy, and I, I, I know that you have uh, a keen interest in doing that, so I'm wondering when you have a motivational speaking event or event, what do you think is your core message that you're trying to deliver with people? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I would say it's, it's different for different clients. Um, if I'm going to speak to a group of athletes, it might be a little different than if I'm speaking to a group of bankers, for example. But um, I would say the core principle, uh, one, one of the core messages that I try to relay is that you know everyone has been given you know blessings and giftings. And I guess the, the question I would pose to people is, what are you doing to maximize those? And what are you doing to make an impact with what you've been given? And I think we all have different things that we're good at, we're bad at, that we struggle with, that we need help with. 
But, um, you know, a quote that I love is that, um, you know, people are impressed by your highlights, but they resonate with your weaknesses. And I think if something for me is just, you know, um, in, equip, helping people understand that, like, you might, you might have a taught us so many things about do I really want to be in this job or do I want to keep stay on this you know because honestly we were so busy before COVID hit we were so in so many ways we were just kind of going and going and going and this has really caused us to reset and pause you know now two years later we're still talking about it and um, just the changes that it's had and so you know a lot of <clears throat> I talk a lot about obviously my experiences in sports and how those kind of relay into the business world um, but also, I think just in trying to encourage people, you know, if I can go and speak somewhere and if, and if one person out of that audience um, can take something from it and can benefit in some way, for me, it's it's worth the trip. It's worth me getting on a plane or, you know, leaving my family for the day to go speak somewhere. If one person walks out of that room saying, you know what? Yeah, like I, I'm a little more encouraged to to lead my family or lead my team at work just a little bit better, or uh, maybe I need to be a little more introspective. Like if there's something that they can be moved in some direction like that, I think it's worth it. And I think as you know, as someone, you know, sounds like you do speaking as well. And it's like, you, I think you would agree that there's a lot of times a lot more than just one person in that room that, and you know, is impacted. And so that's not like a boastful thing to say that. It's just a, you know, um, it's an encouraging thing to be able to have this platform to be able to encourage other people. And I think that's just, that's kind of my motivation to do that. And, and I'm sure we'll get into the book as well and kind of some of that, but I think whether it's a book, a podcast, uh, um, a keynote talk, it's like, man, how, how can I get out of the mindset if it's not just about me, it's about we, and how can I make, how can we get better together? And I think as you get better as a leader and I get better as a leader, then other people, the people in closest proximity to you get better as well. And so I think it's just, you know, whether it's organizational health or, or creating a positive culture. Yeah. I just love um, kind of taking the sports mindset into the business world. Yeah. And to that point, I, I'm, I'm wondering too, do you have like a life motto that sort of you live by that inspired you to write the book? And I, I'm wondering, is, it, is there principles to life that you live your life by, but yeah. So just a little bit about the book. Thanks for asking that. So the book that's coming out this month that I co-authored with John Gordon is called The Sale. And it's, you know, the number one strategy to build trust and create success. And so like any fable you've probably read before, you know, business fable, you know, it's a story that we wrote with, we wanted to write this book for as many people as we could, because we, you know, the, the main character of this book, his name's Matt. And Matt is in sales and he's kind of a person that pushes others to the side. He has his own ambitions are kind of front and center. He just wants to make as much money as he can. And people at work, they don't like being around him. They know that he's kind of just a selfish guy. And, and so he finally has the chance to make the sale of a lifetime. He's in a very lucrative industry. He's about to make the sale that would literally bring him $7 million, which is a ton of money, you know? And so he has the chance to make the sale of a lifetime. And the only problem is to make the sale, to move forward with it, um, he has to lack integrity in some pretty major ways. Um, and some of, the, some of the parts of the planes that he's selling, um, just like you've probably seen in the news the last few years with airplanes breaking down and planes going down, it's, it's a relevant, relevant storyline. And so um, he ends up 
having to make this decision. Do I move forward with the sale and make this money knowing that there's issues and lack integrity or do I do the right thing? And so he ends up meeting this mentor named Randy who teaches him a few principles about integrity. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to tell you the ending of the story because I want to keep you guys on the edge of your seat here. You have to, you know, go read the book, but essentially, um, there's some pretty cool life change that happens with the main character and um, a few of the principles that I think are relevant to teams and organizations and individuals. Yeah, absolutely, Billy. And I, to that point, boss, I'm, I'm wondering uh, if you've given that a thought on how, how you best uh, celebrate life and sort of come to your center of yourself when things are hectic. How do you remember uh, what's important uh, to you in life and how you celebrate it as well? Mm, that's a great, that's a very uh, good question. So I guess on the theme of just really quickly on the book here. So the book, you know, one of the core messages is, you know, character and integrity. And I think when I think about our lives and, 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 and if you get in the story of the book of this main character who has the chance to, to make millions and be set for life. Right. But, it, but in doing so, doing the wrong thing, um, you know, you really get a, a, a glimpse. And I think a lot of readers get a glimpse of, sometimes themselves as the main character and a lot of, in a lot of ways I was, we were writing the book. It's kind of like a little bit about my story. And, 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 and I felt like, and sometimes I was the main character. And, um, you know, when you really look at the transformation that happens, um, you know, in the main character through the story, um, you know, it really, I think makes you be introspective about your own life. And so to your point about like guiding principles, things that, um, you know, I want to navigate my life with, I mean, I, you know, I'm a person of faith. And so I think about, you know, what type of, of husband, what type of father, what type of leader do I want to be? I think it, it, it kind of starts with, you have, like John Maxwell would say, you have to start with the end in mind and you have to think about, okay, at the end of my life, when I look back on whether it's my career or whatever I have been accomplishing, not only am I proud of it, but did I do it in a way which I can sleep well, that allows me to sleep well at night, that I'm proud of, that, um, you know, people will probably respect and love me for the decisions that I made. And, and so I think for all of us, it does start with that. You have to say, you have to say, where am I going? Where am I headed? And then work backwards from that. And I think that's just a way that I think to your, to your question about celebrating it, I think that's a way that you can celebrate someday. You can look back at just the all the relationships, all the success that you've had and say, you know what, like I not only achieved all these really cool things, but I did them the right way. And I think um, that's honestly, I know it's kind of a delayed celebration. And I think you have obviously very small, you have other celebrations along the way, of course, but I think, man, that gets me excited to think about years from now, however, however long we have on this earth, you know, it's like years from now, when you look back, it's like, well, how cool of a celebration would that be? to know that no, we're not, I'm not perfect. You're not, no one's perfect. Right. But you did things the right way and you wanted to make this world a better place. And, and, you know, um, I had a mentor of mine, his name was John Draghi and he's, he was a marathon runner. He uh, did these triathlons. He was in such great shape. He was so healthy and he, he actually got uh, this brain cancer uh, out of nowhere and uh, glioblastoma and, you know, the life expectancy for someone with that cancer is very low. And, and, um, yeah, he, man, he had months to live and he actually, he actually came on my podcast and we talked just about questions like what you just said. Like, um, I remember asking him like at the end of your life, what do you want people to say? And, 
he was like, well, the good thing is, is he's a, he was 50 at the time or around 50. And he's like, Alex, I thought about this question 20 years ago. And so I've lived my life in a way to where um, I, I can live that out. And, you know, for him, it was that he wants people at his funeral to say, you know, his name was John and, and he wanted people to say, you know, I know that John loved God and he loved me. And, and what's amazing is, you know, he did end up passing and it was, you know, really sad, obviously, but at his funeral, um, it was during COVID, it was even virtual. Like you just heard people say almost verbatim that response. And it was cool. It was so cool just to see that. Um, it was obviously very sad, but it was unbelievable for me just watching his life, the impact that he had and, and coming full circle of like, man, what a life well lived. And um, yeah, and just I mean, that just came, I didn't even plan to talk about him this morning today, but um, that just came to my mind as you said that. Well, I appreciate you uh, sharing that story. And, you know, uh, I think we can both agree that life is such a fragile gift and maximizing a moment is important, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, my last name is Demchek and, you know, that's Ukrainian. And so even just, you know, turning on the news and seeing what's happening over there, it's like, man, you know, I have a tough day at work or I have a, a flight delay or something like that. But then I turn on the news and I see what's happening and it, man, it really puts things in perspective. Um, and obviously your hearts go out to all the people in Ukraine that are dealing with all this. And, um, but gosh, yeah, it just really puts things in perspective. And it's like, man, I had this tough day at work. Was it really that tough of a day in comparison to what other people are going through? And I think when you just, when I remember those perspectives, it allows me to just be like, you know what? I need to reframe this negativity that I'm having currently and I need to reframe it and just remind myself I'm blessed. And, um, you know, for me to just be down on myself for whatever the situation is, I'm taking away from the blessings that I've been given. Yeah, putting things in perspective is, vitally important when you, you really take stock of what's important to life and i know that's one of your core messages when you talk to sports teams and business people about maximizing their uh, productivity and potential so how do you think we do that on a consistent and reliable basis to get uh, sustainable results yeah that's a great question so for me i think um when i think about excellence and doing anything with excellence, it starts with doing the small, ordinary, boring things the right way and doing them at a high level. And, you know, then that's why our book is about integrity, because the core message of doing these things with doing the small things, things that no one sees, right? But doing those things with excellence is what then leads to those results to your, to your question. And I think our society is so consumed with um, you know, I, if I want something, I need to get it right now. Like if I want this new house or this new truck or whatever, I need to buy it. Even if I can't afford it, I just want to look like other people who have it. Cause on social media, I can see they have it. And so therefore I, I need it and I should have it. Cause why do they get it? And that's not fair. Right. And you almost get in this entitlement mentality where you're like, not only do I need it, but I deserve it. You know? And, and, and if you see that in yourself, it's kind of dangerous place to be because you're saying I, I am entitled because of something I've done to get these things. And so I think the, you know, where the integrity piece and the excellence piece comes in is like, what are you doing when it comes to um, the little things in your life that allow you, whether, you know, obviously delayed gratification is something that is, we all know it's great, 
but so few people actually kind of live that out of knowing like, you know, the things I'm doing today are setting the foundation and the groundwork for a successful tomorrow, but we want to skip all these steps. Right. And so, you know, I remember when I, to your point about speaking earlier, when I first got into speaking, I asked John Gordon, who's kind of my mentor and my co-author, I said, John, how can I be a successful speaker? And he said, Alex speaking leads to more speaking. So he's like, if you want to do this work, you have to, be willing to do all these gigs for free. You need to be willing to go out for free and do these and kind of give yourself away and get better and learn. And I did that. And I did that over and over and over again for years. And then now, you know, now years later, I've, I've done the speaking thing for about five years and was able to walk away from my full-time job to go all in on my speaking and writing business. And so, you know, when I think about the delayed gratification piece, it's not popular. It's not as sexy, you know, but it's what actually makes a difference when you think about, you know, because a lot of things, a lot of times things that come easy in life, we don't even really give much value to. Like it's not even, you heard the quote, like things that come easy aren't worth having. And I think there's a lot of truth to that because it's like when you do put yourself in a position where you're working hard for years to accomplish something, um, it's, it's way more valuable to you. You know, John, um, yeah, I even think about um, a quote that John, Gordon told me when I asked him about the speaking, he said, he said, Alex, um, he essentially said, you need to put in for the next 10 years, you need to put your head down and you need to work hard for the next 10 years. And then maybe at the end of that 10 years, you can look up and know that you are an overnight success. And that was such an encouragement to me because it was like, you know what, I, I don't need to have this massive social media platform today. I don't need to do all these things today but am I laying the groundwork so that I can have a successful future? And I think that's just a message that not only I need to preach to myself, but that so many people need to hear, um, whether they're a high school or college athlete or they're an executive. It's like, what are you doing um, to build that foundation today? So when hard times come, whether it's a, a COVID or it's a, it's a recession or all these things, that you're able to withstand those things and continue to pursue your mission and your vision in life. Yeah, absolutely. And to that point, Alex, you know, uh, one of the mottos that I live my life by is that inclusion is the gateway to independence. Because uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do this in the first place and host this podcast is because I wanted a platform where people could come on and share their stories, regardless of whatever background they come, uh, come from. So, my next question to you is when you look at inclusion of all people, how do you define that, Alex? Mm, it's a good question. So uh, I guess staying on the topic of integrity. So when I think about inclusion, um, you cannot be excellent and you cannot, you cannot be at integrity by excluding others. I mean, like, so that's at, at its core. Like when I, if I exclude someone, I am then putting myself in some ways above that person and whether I know it or not, I'm doing that. And when I, when I include someone, when I'm inclusive in an inclusive environment, inclusive culture, I'm saying, you know what, whether you're the CEO or you are the person who's wiping down the tables, we are all in the same level playing field. Like I'm not the, the person who's the CEO over there. They're not any better just because they have a different job title. Like, it's an environment where everyone feels welcome. And I think about, you know, there's a lot of studies around psychological safety where work environments perform a, a lot better when 
they people feel safe and people feel like if they make a mistake, they're not going to be ridiculed by their boss, right? They feel like I have I have a seat at the table and I can I can add value. And even if my opinion's different, it's going to be heard and it's going to be respected and received. And so I think when I think about inclusion, I think about, you know, just a massive table and I think about everyone having a seat at the table. What like you mentioned, anyone, whether it's your background, anything about you that's different. Um, I, when I think about inclusion, I think about a huge table and everyone's everyone has a seat. Yeah, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you the same question about equity. Do you have sort of the similar uh, response? Because, you know, uh, one of the things I uh, truly believe, Alan, is that talent is an equally distributable commodity, but sometimes equity, the opportunity isn't. So I'm wondering how uh, the, the discussion in your mind surrounding inclusion also includes equity and equality as well. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I feel like, I guess when I, going back to the table analogy, I feel like, at least in my life, they kind of, in some ways, run pretty close together because, um, yeah, if you're a person who's an equitable person, if you're a person who's an inclusive person, you're someone who's putting the needs of yourself aside, right? You're saying, like, everyone has to eat at the table, but also um, I'm not, I don't have any preconceived judgments about someone because they're different than me. I'm completely open to their opinion, to what they have to say. And I'm a person who there's, there's this integrity and this fairness of, you know what? I might look different. I might think different. I might watch a different news channel. I might have different beliefs than this person, but I'm choosing to respect them. And I'm choosing, um, yeah, to just respect their opinion, even if it's totally different than mine. And I think that takes discipline for a lot of people, especially these last two years we've, we've come out of. There's obviously a lot of hostility on a, on a lot of different um, topics. And I think it's important as a leader, as someone who is trying to make a difference, yes, we all have our own opinions, but are you willing to hear someone else out for them as a human being, you know, and as a person who, um, yes, there, there might be differences in your background and how you were raised, but I think, are you respecting that person in a way where you truly, you don't just want to get, get across your agenda, you truly want to hear what they have to say and you're, and you're going to value them as a person for what they say. Yeah, absolutely. And now, Alex, I want to circle back a little bit to college football. College football, since you uh, finished your playing career, buddy, they've instituted the name Image and Likeness Rule. And I was just fascinated to get your perspective as a former a player on how it's impacted the game of college football and whether you think it's taken away from sort of the purity or love of fo football as well. Yeah, it's a great question as well. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that question because there's definitely two sides to it. You know, I was a walk-on quarterback and, you know, <laughs> I probably would have started a side hustle or two if I could have um, with the whole NIL stuff, you know. And I think back to when I was playing, you know, Johnny Manziel was at Texas A&M and he was a, a star player. And in a lot of ways, he helped kind of put them on the map in a lot of ways. He sold all these jerseys. He brought in millions of dollars of revenue for the organization. The, for the business, right. For the school. And, and yeah, to think like a guy like that wouldn't be compensated for all the things he, you know, that, that is hard to wrap your mind around. It's like they, they do all these things, but they don't get money for it. So I, I guess I see why this the rule has been changed, 
but it, it, it to answer your question about the purity piece, I feel like it does change the game a little bit because now as you follow these athletes, it's all about what brands are they getting sponsors for, you know, a little bit takes away from the, the student athlete experience because now all these programs are, are hiring, they're creating these programs about NIL and it's all about, Hey, if you come to our school and play, we're going to help not only be become a better player, but we're going to help promote your brand and we're going to help you grow your brand. And, and these are just things that when I was playing, just weren't even, a, you know, weren't really an issue because, you know, it just wasn't a thing. And so it's definitely changing the landscape of college athletics for sure. It's very interesting to see where it will go. And, uh, but I definitely think it does change a lot in, you know, in, in these athletes getting paid and it just makes it even more uh, competitive for recruiting. You know, how do you, adequately recruit these these players when they get offers from other schools well, with all these nil deals and so it does kind of now the lines are blurred now of a college sport which is now almost like a professional sport yeah and i see your uh, jersey buddy hanging in the background so i'm wondering what was your favorite college football memory bud man a lot of good memories i don't even know how i encapsulate it into one but i think just um obviously the friendships when i think you know, about my, my time. Um, but I think the time I was there at Mizzou, we were really good. And so, you know, back to back, uh, went to the SEC East, uh, went to the SEC championship. Um, and just, it was like a really cool time to be at Mizzou as far as that goes. Um, but gosh, one memory, I, I honestly don't even think I can boil it down to one because there are just, I mean, I could just talk for probably hours about, um, each season <laughs> and break down each season, but I would just ultimately say, gosh, the relationships that I forged through that time. And I think just the discipline and work ethic of like, you know, having to get up at 4am in the morning and, and push around plate, do plate pushes and the, you know, they had this thing one time called a, it was called the maze of fun. And it was, you had to get up at 4am. You have to, there's this whole maze through the indoor facility where you have to push these plates, go through this obstacle course. I mean, you're, you feel like you're just going to pass out. Um, but they just made it fun. They made it creative and it's like memories like that. And then you have to like chug a protein shake at the end. There's all these things that they make you do. That's just crazy. Right. At the time. But then you realize years later, you're like, wow, it was those disciplines that helped me become better as an athlete. But now that I've carried those over into business, it's like, I just take that same mindset and apply it with my businesses now. Yeah. And to that point, buddy, when you look at the SEC as a conference, I, I sort of, uh, put it sort of above the rest of, of college football. And I'm, what are your, your thoughts on how uh, the popularity of the Southeastern Conference has sort of overshadowed the rest of uh, college football? Because if you look at it, the SEC could be their own league if they really wanted to. Yeah, and they kind of are, and I feel like in a lot of ways. And yeah, you're right. I mean, it's definitely... I mean, now you have like, you know, Oklahoma coming and joining the SEC and things like that. And so it definitely is kind of obviously in my mind, the mega, the mega league and the mega conference. And um, again, it gets back to the recruiting. I, I think I think it would be tough as a college football coach in some ways to be in other conferences, maybe a lot smaller that you just can't compete with some of these these TV deals, these royalty deals and things like this. But then you look at a conference like the ACC, you look at what Clemson's done under Dabo Sweeney uh, for years now. And there's definitely a way and there's a blueprint to do it. It's just, you know, right now this last decade, you know, even longer than that, the SEC has just kind of been the, the, the front runner in some ways. 
Um, and I don't, man, with these new teams joining, I don't see it really ending anytime soon because of the money and the, um, gosh, just the South, the, uh, just the love for football in, in those areas. I just, it, it, for me, I'm just a huge SEC football fan. I love it. But, um, yeah, I just can't get enough of it during football season. So whenever I get a speaking request, I had one yesterday come in for a, a date that was during a Mizzou football game, and I had to tell them no. I said, hey, let's change it to a different date, you know. So yeah, I, I like going to the Mizzou home games when I can. So I had to, had to, had to, had to tell them no. I had to draw the line somewhere. So I'm already planning for this fall. So. Well, uh, f- football, it won't forever be in your blood, Alex, for sure, right? <laughs> That's right. So it's that DNA that that's in there now. So yeah, and Alex, I know that one of the big things that's important to you is also talking about leadership and growing uh, business people uh, to reach their next level of leadership. And when I think of leadership, uh, there there are core fundamental principles from a business perspective that you have to go through for leadership, but. One of the leadership things that I really think is important, and when I talk about leadership, I talk about uh, filling the emotional cup of energy. And what I mean by that is if you're not emotionally invested in becoming a better leader or, or coming to the head of the class with energy and enthusiasm about being a leader, uh, then I think you fall short in some aspects. So I'm wondering your thoughts on both business and emotional leadership and how they're interconnected. Yeah, I think the best leaders have very high emotional intelligence, EQ, and I think they're able to yeah, deal with people in a great way, but also do it in a way where people feel appreciated, people feel loved. Um, and one of the biggest lessons that I think I learned, uh, you know, um, by fire in some ways when I was at Mizzou and in college athletics is that leadership requires no title and it doesn't matter if you are the starting quarterback or you're the CEO of the organization or you're the, the bench, the backup, 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 like I was, you know, leadership, doing the right things, doing the small things with excellence. It doesn't matter where you're, you're at in the depth chart in life. It doesn't matter um, how you stack up. Right. But doing those things makes a difference. And I think when, when you truly understand that leadership, um, yeah, to what you said about energy is so true. When leadership, when required, it actually requires no title. So I don't have to earn a title to make a difference in someone's life. I don't, I don't have to, I don't need a title to bring enthusiasm today. Enthusiasm's free. <laughs> One of my old buddies that was on the team, um, he would just yell that in the weight room. Enthusiasm is free, you know? And at, at the time we're thinking like, man, this dude's nuts, you know? And he'd just go around and he had long hair and he would just go crazy. But there's so much truth to that. Like you don't have to pay a, di- a dime for it. You, you just have to bring it. And I think that's, what's so true about that, whether it's an obstacle you're overcoming in your life or it's a business challenge or it's in sports, it's like um, leadership at its core is, you know, helping other people. Um, you know, you're, you're setting, the core of leadership is entrusting others and empowering others to be the best version of themselves. You're, you're, you're transferring your belief into that person. That's leadership. And, and I just think it's so true. We get caught up in the numbers and the stats and social media followers. But at the end of the day, leadership truly requires no title. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And Alex, I wanted to ask you about presence as both 
a husband, a father, and a professional, and balancing the two, and really wanting to be present in both your family and professional life. I'm wondering if you have any uh, uh, advice to people who may be listening or watching to this on how to effectively balance what presence means to you in life. Yeah, so... I mean, man, it's a, it can be a tough balance at times because on one hand, you want to have the success at work. On the other hand, you know, you have obviously your loving family that you want to be there for. And so one thing that, and a lot of this, you know, in the book is, is what we speak to. And um, because essentially the main character in the book is running at this unhealthy pace where he's neglecting the people closest to him to like achieve this thing. And I think a lot of us can identify with that in our own lives. It's like, are you pushing others to the side because of your, you want your, you kind of your selfish ambition. And I've had to check myself on that. And I think one um, practical way for me and now being a full-time business owner, I, I was in a nine to five for years and I just quit before Christmas a few months ago, about three, four months ago to go all in on this. And, and in some ways I've actually gotten busier, but it's a different type of busy. And it's um, one thing I've noticed is that I could, there's always something else I could be doing to work on the business. Like it's never ending. Like there's always something else. But what I've had to learn is I need to have appropriate boundaries around it. You know, if I'm, if I'm working from home that day, I need to say, Hey, at this time, the laptop goes away. I'm closing it. I'm going to spend time with my family. I'm taking breaks during the day. Like we're about to go to the pool here in a little bit with my daughter. So there's things like that where it takes the intentionality. I don't do it perfectly, right? None of us do, but how can I get better at it? How can I get just a little bit better um, and be more present because the presence piece, which you mentioned is so important. I don't want to have this major success. And then years from now, my, my daughter saying, Oh, I didn't really, I didn't really know my dad that well. Like how, how, how shameful would that be? And what's the point of all this money? Right. And so I think that's something that I, I have to remind myself is there's always something else I can do, but guess what? I can do it tomorrow, you know, and, and I, and I can worry about it tomorrow. Let's let tomorrow take care of itself and don't worry about tomorrow today. And so, um, that's just an easy practical lesson for me of like, how can I be present, still be successful, still pursue these things, make an impact, but also my first ministry, my first uh, important thing in my life, the most important thing, you know, after my faith is my family. And so I just need to make sure that those are in the right order. And when those get out of order, then things don't go very well for me. So I just need to make sure that those things that are most important stay front and center. Yeah. Let's take a minute to just follow up on that. And I wanted to also ask you about, emotional vulnerability and the importance or uh, uh, the advantages of being uh, vulnerable and not always having all the answers. How, how important do you think emotional vulnerability is to success? It's huge and it's super important. And you think about the people in your life that you know that um, act like they have it all together and, and have all the answers, like you don't really gravitate towards a person like that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be smart and you shouldn't know about your industry and things like that. But when you're around people who are great listeners and are great um, and they're vulnerable and they're like, you know what? I messed up. This was my I, I take ownership. It was my fault. Right. When you're around people like that, it's contagious. And you want to be around a person like that more often. And and I think that's a person we should strive to be like is someone who is saying, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this thing with everything I got. And when I mess up, I'm not, I'm not blaming the people around me. I'm saying, Hey, I messed up. I want to be transparent. I want to be vulnerable. 
And I want to have, I want to, if you have a business or a team, I want to create this now culture of vulnerability and it's culture of that breeds vulnerability because when I'm vulnerable and I'm vulnerable with people on my team around me, that's only going to lead them to being more, them to being more vulnerable as well. And so I think it's a contagious thing. Uh, I, I probably shouldn't use the word contagious after the last two years we've been through, but I, I think it truly is contagious and it truly is something that, um, you know, when you're around someone who lives that and you're around someone who is vulnerable, it just causes you to open up to that person even more. Yeah. And I know one of your passions in talk, when you talk about opening up to people is you, you're the co-founder of writemybooks.com. And I know you help people write uh, their stories to pen to paper and make it into the book. So tell me about uh, writemybooks.com, buddy. I'm fascinated to, uh, to know more. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for asking. So yeah, about a year ago, one of my buddies wrote a book and I remember reading it in about two days and I read it over the weekend and I remember calling him afterwards and I was like, his name's Will. And I said, Will, you are an extremely talented writer. Like, oh my gosh, like that was a great book. And, you know, I had my first book at the time he had his and I said, have you ever thought about helping people write their books? And he's like, well, it's funny you say that someone just asked me this past week to do that. And so we started talking and, you know, fast forward about nine months, here we are now um, as a business and we're helping right now, we have about 12 different authors that we're helping that are kind of in our pipeline. And what we do is we help people write, edit and publish their books. And so um, it's been really fun. It's been empowering. It's been we're working with all different types of people. We're working with a financial planner right now. We're working with a war veteran. We're working with a professional athlete. We're working with a stay-at-home mom. And so it's really cool just the, the vast array of people that we get to work with. And so I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a stat that says 81% of people want to write a book someday, but only 1% ever get around to writing it. And I think there's this huge gap. Like there's all these people that have like in their mind, oh yeah, this is what I would write about, or I want to tell my story, but they don't have a team in their corner. They don't have people that are helping them do that process. And so with writemybooks.com, that's what we're doing. And we have this team now to where when we work with authors, we have it in it, we have it down to a 16 week process. So rather than saying like, oh yeah, I want to write a book someday, you know, maybe it'll take years to do it. Uh, or maybe you've waited years to write a book. Now we're saying, Hey, for the first time you can have this team around you. It's going to help you, you know, ghostwrite, edit all these different things. Um, to where we're stewarding your story well. And then this can just be an impact piece for you. This can be something that you give out when you go speak, that you can give out to clients, prospective clients. And we, we truly believe that a book is the new business card. We don't feel like business cards are a thing anymore. You know, I mean, they're still a thing, but how much more impactful is it if you're at a conference or you meet someone on a plane and you have a really cool conversation? And instead of saying, hey, here's my business card, you could say, Hey, here's my book. Yeah. We just, what we just talked about. Yeah. I, I wrote about that in chapter seven. Like, I'd love you to have a free copy. Here you go. Like, that's a pretty cool thing. And we're just really excited to continue to help people do that. And um, yeah, who knows where this, where this company will be in 20 years from now, but we're really excited um, for the long-term potential and, and the people we're helping right now. Yeah. Alex, you know, I probably could talk to you for a few hours, buddy, but my final question for you today has to do with your own individual and personal legacy, buddy. When you think about your life in totality, if you could be remembered for one thing, what do you think that might be? And how do you want your legacy to be defined both personally and professionally? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know what? I have to go back to kind of the beginning of this podcast. 
when I was with my friend John and, you know, the months before he passed away, I, in, in a lot of ways, I think it's an honor to his life to even share and to kind of own that myself. And so in, in, in that same vein of honoring his life and legacy, when I look back at the end of my life, you know, I want people to know that, you know, people that knew me personally, and I don't need to be famous. I don't need to have all these social media followers. That doesn't matter at the end of your life. You know, but I, but it would be so cool to know that people that knew me said, you know what, Alex loved God. He was a person, he was a person of faith, but he loved me and he encouraged me and he made me better. And so I think whether it's my family members saying that or friends or whoever, I think it would be so cool to be able to say that, to hear someone say that at the end of your life. And so I think when I think about my legacy, when I define it like that, um, I think that really changes the way that I live. It changes my decisions. It changes my every day. And so yeah, that would be the way that I'd want it to be defined. Well, Alex, I have to uh, first ask you if people want to uh, get connected with you, buddy, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, so my new book, The Sale, comes out this month. It comes out April 26th. And um, yeah, if you're listening before that or after, you can check it out at thesalebook.com. And, um, and then my personal website is alexspeaking.com. And then if you do want to write a book, whether you've thought about it, you just want to learn more, you can go to writemybooks.com. Well, fabulous, Alex. I have to tell you, I really enjoyed engaging in conversation with you about your life in football, outside of football, and everything in between. Your uh, work to inspire and motivate people to reach their fullest and maximum potential is most appreciated, buddy. And I really want to thank you for being here this morning. Yeah, Kevin, great show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to listen to more and more of your episodes. And thanks for having me on today.